I always enjoy it and appreciate it when our uh, kids could join us for the service. And, you know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how eloquent you are and articulate and all the right words that you want to say to children and you want to teach them, they don't remember any of that. But they remember the palm branches and hitting their friends in the face with it and swinging it and doing all that. And I, I just love that we get to include them and give them a time to think, why did they have these palm branches on Palm Sunday? I mean, we call it Palm Sunday because of the palm branches. But why is that? And I love our church and that we get to include them into it and teach them and explain to them how the people were ready to receive a king. But just as Pastor Nathan said... He didn't come on a war horse ready to revolutionize and take over things with power, but he came as a servant, and he had to die in our place. And uh, we're going to talk about that every Sunday if you come to church here. And so I want to kneel and pray. I didn't get to do this at the beginning of the service. You do not have to do this. I know you guys have been standing up and getting down. If you're able to, and it's not going to mess up the rest of the service for you, you are welcome to join me in kneeling and praying. You know, sometimes we bring our uh, loaves and fish, and uh, some days it feels like I bring crumbs. And so I'm going to bring my crumbs before the Lord with you. Heavenly Father, thank you. There is no more difficult week that you had than the, than the Passion Week. And... Uh, it's overwhelming to think of that, and it's hard to accept and understand the, the love that you had and the joy that you had in obeying the Father and drawing many to you. Would you do that now? Supernaturally, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes and ears of our hearts? Would you draw us to you? Would you help cultivate the soil of our hearts? that we would receive your truth and it would bear fruit in our lives. And I pray if there's someone here this morning that is not a believer, but you're drawing them to yourself, would today be the day of salvation, that they could hear and believe. I pray for me that you would take these crumbs and you would take this time that we reflect on your word. Your word is good and sweet and powerful and active. And so we just submit to it. As we read it, as, you, as we read just simple passages about what you have done in the lives of your disciples, would you connect it with us? We know that we are your followers and you have a reason for revealing these things to us. Would you help us to draw on a closer relationship with you? We love you because you first loved us. And so we pray, help us this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth and through the reading and proclamation of your word which is inerrant infallible true the highest authority and what we need to hear from you i love you i thank you for the table that you're preparing for us one day we'll all sit at would this be a taste of that i pray in jesus name So I've got my mystery box up here, and I'm not going to tell you what's in it. Uh, eventually I will. There's a couple items in there. I'm not used to preaching topical. I'm not smart enough to do that well. I do better when I just take a passage of Scripture and say, this is all, this is the best I have to offer from studying it. 
But I knew that God was putting this on my heart to explain just one verse, just one verse for our people, and there's so much in that verse. And if you were here last week, you know that we talked about Levi the tax collector and how God calls sinners to himself to repent, to change direction, to be saved, to be set free. And, and, and God, Jesus called Levi and changed his life, but we, we didn't have enough time to go through one of the most important parts of Levi's story. Do you know what happened to Levi? Do you know what happened to him after Jesus called him to himself? And, and really, the beginning of his story begins with his name. I don't know if you've thought about this, his name. We, we didn't really get into it. But before we get into the scripture verse, I want you to think about this question. What's in a name? What's in a name today? What, what was in a name 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago? What, what was the meaning for people calling someone something? What is, what's in a name? You know, I, I try to find out how many names there are in the world, and guess what I found out? No one knows. We can't possibly know. Yeah, it's endless research. But I did decide, you know what, I'm not going to waste my time. I just started looking up baby name registries. Have, have ever you ever done that? Like, you know, you new parents where you're thinking, oh, we're going to have a baby. <gasps> now we got to name them, you know, and you, you look at the baby name registries and you got to, you know, go through the names. So I looked up one baby name registry and on it were 127,649 names, just English. That's just the English language. 127,649, which means if you were to take just one second to consider each of those names and go through it, it would take you 35 and a half hours to go through every name. And I know some of you dads are like, that's exactly what we did. And she made me do that. Yeah, so. And the reason why we spend time to think through names is because names stick with you, don't they? I mean, that's how people know you. That's what you call them. And, and they're significant. I, I recently researched my own name and was shocked to learn that Jack is a derivative of John. I didn't know that. Uh, it originated in medieval England, and it began as John and then went to Jonkin. By the way, that's also where Jonathan comes from. It stems from Jonkin. And then Jonkin moved to Jankin, and then Jankin was too nasally to say. It was probably too hard to say. And so they shortened it. They always shorten words, by the way. We're just lazy people. We always shorten it. And it went from Jankin to Jackin, and then Jackin was too tough. That's too long of a name, so they decided Jack. And Jack became the most common English name in the Middle Ages. So common that if you were to say to a guy that you have no idea who he is or what his name is, you'd be like, hey, Jack. It became like the word buddy. So that's how special my name is. <laughs> anyway, but, but I did find out that Jack, even though a derivative of John, the, the meaning of the name actually means God is gracious. God is gracious. I have to admit when I, when I read that for the first time, I didn't know that. When I read that, that really touched me. And have, do you know what the meaning of your name is? Have you ever thought about that? Why did your parents name you what they named you? I, so I searched a few other names. The name Luke is a boy's name that has a Greek origin, and it means a man from Lucania. There's no other, I try to look and see if they tried to, just a guy from a, a Greek town. That's, that's what that means. My daughter's name is Amelia. Amelia stems from a German word that means work, like work, which if you've ever been to my house, you would see how that's super ironic right now. Um, <laughs> but that's what her name means. 
the name Adeline, we have some Adelines in here. It means noble one, like a noble person, someone of nobility. Jace, uh, as a boy's name, means healer, so one who heals. And Kyle, like Pastor Kyle, Kyle means narrow, like a narrow straight. How did Pastor Kyle's parents know he'd be tall and skinny? I mean, that, they, just, they just named it. They named it, claimed it. There, there it was. Now, now, I know usually we don't pick names based on their euphony, their sweet sound, you know, we, we, and we, or I'm sorry, we usually name our kids based on how it sounds, how good it is to us, and if we didn't have an ex back in high school of that name, like, you have to make sure you get the right name. can't be your siblings, when they, if they name it first, and you, you might hate them forever, but you can't pick that name. You can't have the same name. So we pick names based on how it sounds to us, not usually the etymology, the original meaning of it. That's not how we do it. But back then they did. When they named their son or daughter something, that name had a significant meaning. Whatever that Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, of all the French, German, I mean, for thousands of years when parents named their kids, it was significant because it meant something about that, that boy or girl's heritage. It meant something about their tradition, their family, who, where they were from. It, it even gave a little glimpse of their mom and dad, what they, what they kind of hoped for them, that they would grow up to be like this. It was a little bit of their identity and purpose. So when, before we get in the passage, you have to know in this context, biblically, there was, a, there was a lot of meaning in a name. There was a lot of significance in a name. It's not like today in America. There was so much significance in a name. And as we dive deeper into Levi's story, I know there's going to be a, a simple morning, but his story really begins with his name. His name is Levi. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we read, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. By the way, just for future Ted, that word named Levi is going to be different in another passage. I want you to remember it says named Levi. It doesn't say called Levi. Named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Mark's account is the, almost exactly the same. And as he passed by, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Alphaeus is a Hebrew uh, name, a Hebrew word. Its uh, meaning means changing. And so Levi had Hebrew parents. He was Jewish. Levi was Jewish. And it's significant that they named him Levi. You know, Levi is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Levi is a big deal. That's a, that's a common name for those in the tribe of Levi. So Levi was not just part of any tribe. He was part of the tribe, the one where the priests come from. You know, we don't think about this because elders and pastors are different today, but do you know that priest, when you read the Bible, old and new, priest, if you wanted to be a priest, you didn't go to seminary. You didn't feel called. No one asked you. No one grew up and said, no, I just feel like you've got the calling. No one did that. In order to be a priest, you had to be born into it and only born into it. No one outside of the tribe could be a priest. So when Alphaeus and mom name him Levi, you know what they're displaying and showing their hopes for their little boy? Levi's going to grow up and he's going to be a priest. He's going to grow up and he's going to work in the temple. He's going to do great things. People are going to be ministered. You know, priests were like mediators between God and the people. And our boy is going to grow up. Our, our man, we got a son. And he's going to grow up and he's, he's just going to minister to others. But that's not Levi's story, is it? Levi didn't become a priest. He became a despicable tax collector. The very opposite of what his parents were hoping. 
Levi brought shame and disgrace on his family, on his namesake. Levi didn't turn out like what everyone hoped he would turn out. And that was Levi. His family disowned him. He was an outcast. He'd been known publicly as a traitor to God and his people. We, we spoke a little about, about that last week. And here's the point. We touched on it, but we need to go further into his story. Levi carried a label and an identity, one of shame and guilt. Now, he might have laughed it off like, I don't care what my family wants. And he had his tax collector friends, and they probably talked bad about the Jewish people, and I don't care about the priests. That's true. He was, they were the folks are folks. 4,000 years ago and today, we're, all the, we're still the same, our nature. So Levi probably had a chip on his shoulder, probably pretended like he didn't care. But publicly, he was disgraced. Tax collector was despised. And that's the way that Levi was known publicly And here's the truth. Every single one of us walked in this room with some kind of label, some kind of name or identity that has brought shame or guilt or pain. All of us has done that. Now, technically, I hope most of you walked in here with an actual label. I have one in my hand. I have one here. We passed these out. We wanted you to have these. It's part of this. I know a Christian woman, uh, a true story, when she was a little girl, Uh, a teacher, some kind of teacher said to her, you can't sing, so don't sing. Now, maybe they meant like, hey, don't sing in class or don't sing in this environment, but that little girl carried that name, that identity, all her life into adulthood. When she became a Christian, when she was in church, she wouldn't sing out loud. She wanted to sing to Jesus, but there was a sense of shame every time the worship team, probably back then the organ or whatever, every time the music was playing and they were singing hymns, she just barely sang. Because deep down on her, it was invisible, you couldn't see it, no one else knew it, I'm a bad singer. I grew up, I've always, I've always been a foodie and I was very chubby as a kid. And there came a point in my life where I thought, I'm fat. I'm not athletic. I'm not good at sports. I'm not as strong as other men. I remember being a teenager, and I I went into martial arts because I wanted to prove something, and I thought I would just beat up other kids. You know, I wanted to be the karate kid or the Ninja Turtles. But partly it was because I had a label. I had, uh, no one could see it, you know. No one sees this. And no matter how strong you are, no matter how old you are, you, you guys came in here with something. You're a failure if your kids walked away from the Lord. I'm a failure. You're not a good Christian because you don't witness enough. I'm not doing this thing that God has called me. For some of you, it's what you see in the mirror. I'm ugly. I'm not as good as other people. For some of you moms, you have mommy guilt. You think you're horrible because you're not a perfect woman and perfect mother and maybe you yelled at your kids and deep down inside you're feeling horrible about you even though other people don't know it and you feel like a failure or you've lied. You've got some sin. Maybe, maybe it's what you're doing to yourself. You say about yourself, I am this. This is who I am. This is my name. This is the meaning. This is what's tattooed on my heart. This is here. So I want all of you, if you're willing to do this, for your pastor, if, if, if you want to be nice. 
would you take out that label and would you put it on your chest? It's just an activity. They use this in counseling, so I'm not asking you to do anything crazy. This isn't witchcraft. But would you put that label on your shirt and just think for a moment, what, what is on your label? And be honest with the Lord. Now, don't say it out loud. Don't write it on there. But what's on your label? What have you believed about yourself, some of you for years, secretly, not wanting anyone to know? Because of mistakes you've made. I'm an addict and I'm a this and I'm a failure and I'll never get over whatever. What is on your label right now that you walked in here with, whether anyone else in this room knows it or not? If you're married, there's probably one person that knows what's on there. But what's on there? Levi had that going on. That's where Levi was when Jesus called him to himself. And so ask yourself, what's on my name tag? What's here? What's, what's on here? What have you been thinking about yourself? And I, listen, I'm not a health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it, self-help kind of guy. I don't believe in that, but I, I do believe in the truth. And there's so much good in Levi's story and another guy we're about to read. They believed something about themselves until Jesus changed it. What's on your name tag? Before Levi met met and followed Jesus, he was Levi the tax collector, Levi the traitor, Levi the unworthy, Levi the unapproachable, Levi the unclean. But afterward, Levi's name changed. Did you know that? Levi no longer went by Levi. You know, it's interesting. Luke and Mark say Levi. But do you know in the same account in Matthew, the name Levi is not used? Let me take you there. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, this is the same story, a different gospel, he saw a man called Matthew. Hmm, why not Levi? And why not named Matthew? Why does he say called Matthew? A man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. You know what happened to Levi? Jesus started giving him a different name. You know, the name Levi, it comes from the Hebrew word Levi, which means to borrow or lend. The whole sin of the tax collectors is to take what's not yours. It's the opposite. It's breaking the ninth commandment of stealing, taxing your brother. Levi had a name of disgrace. It was almost like a shame to him. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to name you Matthew. Matthew is a Hebrew name. Mattathiah, it means gift of Jehovah, gift of Yahweh. After Matthew, after Levi met Jesus, Jesus started calling him a new name. You're no longer Levi. You're a gift of Jehovah. What do you think Levi thought in that moment when Jesus gave him a new name? I bet he thought, I'm not a gift. I'm a traitor. I've been going the wrong direction all my life. My family hates me. I shouldn't even be your follower. I'm not going to do you any good. I'm not going to bring any good to your name. Your cause, it needs someone not like me, not with a reputation like me, not with a past like me. And Jesus said, you're Matthew. That's why in Matthew's gospel, by the way, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, was written by the disciple Levi. But he didn't go by Levi anymore. That's why he changes the story to called Matthew. Matthew's life had been changed. He was no longer who he was before. He had a label. He got rid of it. But he didn't get rid of it because he just needed to think better about himself. 
He got rid of it because Jesus gave him a new name, Matthew. Jesus did the same thing with Peter the first day they met. John chapter 1, verse 42. First day that Jesus meets Peter. And Andrew brought Simon. By the way, Simon, Peter was originally Simon. He brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John, or Jonah, your translation, same name. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means, which is translated Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic word. It's a word that means rock. And the Greek word, which is the common language of their day, like English is today, it's the most common language. For them, they, you know, even though that was your native language, you would speak Greek. And so Petros is the Greek word for Peter. And so Jesus says, I know you're Simon, which means God has heard in Hebrew. God has heard. I know you're Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. Peter means rock. Peter is this idea of... Um, of strength and durability. I actually brought a rock from Israel. I hope that's not illegal. If I'm not here next Sunday, I'm super sorry. But this is a rock. This is actually a rock I got from Israel where, where David slew Goliath. I was near a stream, a wadi. It was empty. And we picked up a rock. I wanted to remember. David's story is significant to me. David's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And I took this rock home and... Uh, Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name you Rock because you're strong and you're durable. I see leadership in you. Now, guess what? Was Peter a great leader before Jesus met him? Not really. I mean, he had it in him. But that was what was so interesting about Jesus. When he met people, when he saw people, when he called them to himself, he didn't see them in all their weakness and their failure and their mistakes and their past. Jesus later revealed to Peter how he would fulfill his new identity. Peter was being asked, well, who is Jesus? Who are other people saying? And they answered, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? I love this. In Matthew 16, verses 16 through 18, there's a connection, by the way. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. That's the Greek word Petros. I put that in there just so you know, Petros. And on this rock, he uses a different Greek word, Petra, which means bedrock, like foundation, like found in Matthew 7 when speaking of building your house on the Petra, not rocks. You, don't, you wouldn't build your house on a bunch of stones. It would slide around, but on bedrock, a foundation. He said, on this foundation, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, represented the bedrock upon which Jesus promised to build his church. Before Peter gave his life to Jesus, he was only known as Simon. Simon, that was it. But after Jesus... He had a new identity, a new name, a new purpose, a new meaning. Jesus didn't see Simon through the lens of his past mistakes. He didn't see him according to his weaknesses and in putting his foot in his mouth, and he did that for a long time after. Instead, Jesus saw him in light of who he would become. And what we're supposed to learn from Jesus' story, the way he treated his disciples is, he still does that same thing today. He still does that today. Look with me in 1 Peter. So 
So Peter, Mr. Rock, the Rock, the original Rock, not Dwayne Johnson, the original Rock. Dwayne Johnson is like, he's a copycat. I'm talking about the real Rock. In 1 Peter, his letter to believers, he says, As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. He's speaking of Jesus. As you come to Jesus, who's the living, man, he's the stone, he's rejected. You yourselves as living stones. Now, he uses a different Greek word. It's lithos. It means it's a different kind of stone. I'll I'll make the connection. But Peter's like, I know I'm the rock, but you guys are little rocks too. You guys are like rock. You guys are living stones. A spiritual house are being built up to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, and I brought a stone from my house. Uh, I didn't take it off my house. I'm not that dumb. Um, This is a stone. I got a picture of it up there. Do you know what the difference between lithos and petros or stone and rock is? You know the difference in their context, in our context today? Stone, when the way they use the word stone, is a rock. It's just a rock that has been shaped for a purpose. That's the only difference. The only reason why they give it a different name is because it is a rock. It's made out of rock, but it's molded and shaped. You see what's interesting about rocks is uh, this rock is shaped by the elements. It's shaped by water and dirt and movement and, and you know, different things that have happened. This rock was shaped by external forces with no true purpose. It's, it's odd. It's not perfectly round. It's the best one I could find when I was in Israel. But this is just a rock that you see and say, chaos, accident. I mean, not real accident. I don't believe in evolution. But it's, it's shaped by the outside elements. This, on the other hand, was crafted by a workman. This was designed. This rock was shaped for a purpose. And that's what Peter was telling them. I know I'm Mr. Rock, but you guys are stones, living stones, shaped and designed for a purpose. God has a reason when he calls you, he doesn't just call you to change direction, to repent, to turn from your sins. He does do that. But he calls you to change identity. So the question that we see in Peter's life is, where is my identity? Where do I find my identity, what my real name is, what my true calling and purpose is? Where do I, how do I see myself? How do I view myself? Do I view myself the same way that God does? Jesus not only redeems us, but he renames us. Jesus renames us when he calls us to follow him. When we follow him, we get a new name, just like Matthew, just like Peter, just like Abram to turn to Abraham, just like Jacob who was Israel. When God calls us to himself, he actually changes our identity in such a way that he gives us his purpose, his plan. We're no longer who we were before. In John 1.12, it says that if we believe in Jesus, we're children of God. On that label would be children if we see ourselves the way God does. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're not the same that you were before. You're not identified as who you were. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship. Remember, we're living stones. We've got a purpose. We're being built up. We're, We're doing something. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's a purpose for us which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know, if that little girl would have heard that name of bad singer and thought, I'm a new creation. I'm his workmanship. I was designed. He calls me friend. He doesn't call me inadequate. He calls me friend. One day we're going to have a special name that God will give to us in heaven. I love this passage. I've studied it. There's too much to say about the white stone. I know if if you guys are Bible scholars and you've recently studied Revelation 2, I know about the different thoughts on what the white stone is, but the name is not very debatable. Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. That sounds fun, but a little creepy too. But hidden manna. God's going to give us, he's going to provide for us life. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. When I was 16, God called me to himself. He had been bringing the gospel to me through people that knew him and other ways, but it wasn't until I was 16. It was in the summer. I was just about turned 16. My, my birthday's in June, and Something tragic happened in my life, and I was questioning things, and I remember thinking, I'm Jack Daniel, and I hate my life, and I don't, I hate my family, and I hate me. I just don't like me. This is not the right road. I have no life. I'm not finding hope and peace. God, if you're willing, will you save me from me? Will you forgive me of my sins? I know who you are, but I've never loved you, and I've never given you my life. I'm ready now. Would you either let me die or would you save my life? And God saved me. I didn't know it in that very moment, but God has a new name for me that I don't know yet. And one day in the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be one name that only I know, the one who's received it. And I'm going I'm to have a personal relationship. And in my relationship with the risen Jesus, who died and bled for me, he's not going to call me Jack Daniel. He's not going to call me failure. He's not going to call me sinner. He's going to call me a new name. So, if you believe that, and you're a believer, this does not work for non-Christians. I I hate to say it like that. If you are not a Christian, this is not, you still have the old label. And you can't tear it off. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can give you a new name. But if you're a believer, it is a great therapeutic exercise. It's just activity. I want us all to tear off this label. Whatever was on there when you came in, I want us to tear it off together. And I, I want us to do it on the count of three. When, like one, two, and then tear. Not yet, not yet. You know, some people say one, two, three, and then tear. That's not us. We're going to do it instead of the number three, we're going to tear. So I want us all to do it together. You guys ready? This is a good activity. You should do it. And, uh, or unless you're too good for this, don't do it. <laughs> all right. And I'm going to close my eyes because I mean this. And uh, I've never gotten over God's grace for me. So I'm going to close my eyes, but on the count of three, let's tear it off together. One, two, tear. 
You heard that? For some of you, that sound was really a sound of redemption and forgiveness. And I hope you remember that sound. I hope you remember that you are not the label and the name of your mistakes and your sins. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a new creation. You have a new name, and you do not have to believe all the bad things that the enemy tries to tell you every day. Those are lies. Satan can't change your name. He can be an accuser, and he can be a name caller, but he can't give you your real name. So I want to end with this question, and I'm not trying to end heavy, but I think it's important for you to ask this question. Who have I labeled? Who have I labeled? And I just pray. I'm not smart enough to be able to eloquently tell you how to know what your thing is, but I believe the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to work in your heart. Who have you labeled, and they're no good, and they're not worth it, and they're not worth your time, and they're unlovable, and they're a waste, and they're a failure, and you don't care, who have you labeled? Because if you've labeled them in any of those ways, you're not seeing them the way God sees them, and you're not seeing them with truth. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what you did in Matthew's life, I thank you for what you did in Peter's life. I thank you for what you did in my life. What do you want to do with our church? We as a family, we love you, and we trust in your word. We uphold biblical integrity. Would you add more to that, that we would be your hands and feet outside of Sunday? Help us to be the brightest light to the lepers and the tax collectors and the drunkards and the sinners. Help us to get over our biases and our judgment. Help us to forgive, remove bitterness. Have your way in our hearts. We know you're still doing the same thing you were doing then. Would you raise up more Matthews and Peters, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, I love you.